Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. But this is a fascinating topic. The idea is very interesting, and um, though it's tempting to dive into it more, we, we're not going to this semester, uh, I assume, I'm assuming, it may be a false assumption, um, but I assume Brother Keith would have me do the second part of this next semester. Um, uh, seems like a reasonable idea, but he hasn't talked to me about it, so it's just an assumption at this point, but... I would think that he would have me follow, follow this up with the second half next semester. If not, then, then not. <laughs> but, but he probably will. It, when we do, the point is, when we do, when we get to Daniel 9, we're going to talk about these watchers even more. But the watcher emerges and makes a decree regarding this tree. Now, it's, it's interesting because the watcher was... Watching. When Nebuchadnezzar reached a certain point, he made a decree. And it doesn't say the watcher consulted with God. It doesn't say he conferred with God or asked God or or checked with God. He just made the decree regarding Nebuchadnezzar and it was carried out, which is very interesting. These guys... Roam the earth. Watching. On behalf of God. They show up multiple times in the Bible. We'll talk about it a little bit here today, but uh, we'll try to get into it more next semester when we get to Daniel 9. The watcher condemns Nebuchadnezzar to be removed from this position of great status and to live as a beast for seven years. Imagine that. You're the king. You're doing good in your palace. You're comfortable. Walking around bragging about yourself. And like that. You've lost your mind and you're out back eating grass and rolling around and, and running around like a wild beast. You don't want to toy with God. In fact, if you have a sound mind, which God instructs you to have, you should thank you, Lord. <laughs> Help me to keep it. Help me to be humble. Help me to, to, to keep my mind where you want it so I don't end up like this. Now, think about this, all right? You imagine what Nebuchadnezzar must have looked like running around out back doing the things he was doing. What about the people in Uganda who roam the streets and, and they, 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 they look like maniacs? They have no home. They're like wild animals. Why? There are people all over America. Right now, it's a huge problem in certain cities in America where people want to just live in the streets. They just, they just pull up on your, you know, the, in Seattle. Seattle is a beautiful city in America. It's, it's kind of a, a, a rich, well-to-do city. And um, they have these major areas of, you know, shopping and things like that. They're supposed to be really nice. Right now, they're full of homeless people living in tents. <laughs> You walk down the street and you see a homeless man using the restroom on the side of the road. Now, here, that's normal. 
I've never seen people just plop down on the side of the road and use the bathroom. <laughs> We're out preaching, and a woman walks up the hill, walks around behind us, gets down in the grass right in front of everybody, and just is like, all right, like the wild beast, I guess. <laughs> Men, no shame whatsoever, just letting it all hang out, using the bathroom on the side of the road. They don't even try to hide. I would be ashamed of myself standing out where people could see me using the restroom. It's disgusting. Um, maybe I've told about Lee, Lee Cadenhead. Um, who knows the name Gandhi? Or it might be one of the two. It's spelled one of those. But yeah, Gandhi. So in, in, he went to India a couple years back. And they had this huge sign on the side of the road. I mean, a huge Massive sign, like a billboard on the side of the road. And it's a picture of Ganda. And the picture of Ganda underneath it, the caption said, a defecation-free India. <laughs> so you're, you're this great religious figure. And they thought, you know, if we want to get people to stop defecating on the streets in public, let's use Gandhi's picture <laughs> to try and help, help deter them. You're like a wild beast. Go hide somewhere. Go in the woods. Go in the bathroom. Uh, anyways, I don't know what that had. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. The, the, the point is, God took Nebuchadnezzar's mind and he began acting that way. Why do people act that way today? I can't guarantee you it's because God took their mind, but... Why is it that the way that you act resembles the way Nebuchadnezzar acted when God took his mind and made him act like a beast? The aim of this decree was twofold. First, to humble the proud Nebuchadnezzar. Second, so that all will know the Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men. That's it. God says, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to bring you down. You're going to act like a wild beast. So if you're not a wild beast, don't act like one. Be clean. If you've got to use the bathroom, go in a bathroom. If you're hungry, don't eat the grass. <laughs> go get some food at a table, in a house. If you want to sit outside and eat fruit, I know Ugandans like to sit outside and fellowship and all that. That's not, that's not what we're saying. Now, Ugandans using the bathroom outside is what I'm saying. <laughs> that's... That's a problem that needs to be addressed. You know, you expose yourself like that to children in most countries in the world, you're going straight to prison. I'm driving with my family. You think I want my children watching you use the bathroom on the side of the road? You don't even make any effort to hide yourself. It's disgusting. It's inappropriate. It's wrong. It's dirty. Stop. Now, unfortunately, none of them are listening to me, so... And if they were, they'd go do it despite me. Not, they wouldn't listen to what I'm saying. Um, the book of Daniel helps us make the, the connection between the spiritual and the temporal. This is, a, this, this, is a, this is not just a temporal problem. It's a spiritual problem. Um, but when you see in Daniel, God, God is sending this watcher down. All right? I'm, I'm going to demonstrate it a little bit in just a moment. So this guy is coming down, and he's watching Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar is so proud. I'm, we're going to send him a dream. We're going to send him a vision. I don't think it'll hurt you. It'll be okay. He's just trying to... Watch. Yeah, he's a watcher. <laughs> yeah. Everything's okay. Nobody here is proud. <laughs> Um, so he's watching Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Nebuchadnezzar is proud. We're going to send him a dream to inform him. What, now, we talked about this before. What does God do before he sends judgment? He warns you. You're about to cross the line. And then he says, Here, here's the line. You're, you're moving towards it. If you cross it, this is what I'm going to do to you. So, so there's no guessing what's going to happen to you if you cross this line. Here's the line. God says, you know what? There's, there's the line. 
you cross that line, this is what's going to happen to you. If you don't cross that line, you turn to go the other way, this is what will happen to you. God always predetermines the outcome of your choice. Now, what are you going to do? So they send this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, man, that, that, I'm terrified of this dream. Uh, bring in all the people who can't tell me anything about it. Well, they couldn't help. Now bring in Daniel who can tell me something about it. And I know he can tell me something about it. Daniel tells him. And Nebuchadnezzar does it anyways. So the watcher takes his mind. He makes this decree. Hew down the tree. Send them out, give give them the the, the heart of a beast, and send them out back. Leave the roots. Again, why? Why Why was God willing to go so far with this Gentile king? Why not just destroy him and get it over with? He destroyed Josiah, he let Josiah die because of the sins of, of, of Judah. But he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to stay alive for some reason. So he said, leave the root, leave the stump, but take down that tree. Give that man the heart of a beast and send him out back. Now, now this, this, is, this, is a, this is a spiritual issue. And, 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 and these watchers are all around. Chapter 10, and we'll read most of the chapter. Verse 4, start in verse 4 and read all the way to the end. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hiddekai, Hiddekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded in fine gold of Euphaz. Now, what did he see when he lifted up his eyes? A certain man. What do angels look like? Men. Two Gospels talk about Mary seeing angels at the tomb. And one, she saw two angels. And the other, she saw two men. Same two people. This is not four people. Same two people. One, they're called angels. The other, she said they look like men. That's what angels look like. So all the drawings that the Roman Catholic Church has showed you and made popular, those aren't angels. They're not floating around with wings and glowing and all this, all this garbage. The Bible says you have entertained angels unawares. You have no idea. I could be an angel and you've entertained me. <laughs> all right. No, no, no comment. Let's move on. That, that drew too much laughter. Let's move on. All right, so they look like men. When he saw this angel, he saw men. I should get everybody. Everybody gets half, half their points taken off for laughing at that. Um, verse 6. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like, like in color to polish brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, so when an angel wants to display the, the majesty that God has given them, they can do that. But typically when we see them, they just look like men. Right? And, and, and we, we've got examples of both. That what you don't have is angels with wings and all this other stuff that, that artists' renditions have come up with. All that stuff is interesting and it's fun to look at, but you can't confuse it with Bible truth. Enjoy what men have produced in trying to uh, illustrate what the Bible, what they think the Bible says. It's great. Uh, these, these charts that I've given you by Larkin, all that is wonderful, but you can't assume because he drew a great picture that that must be what the Bible is talking about. You, you still got to go in and verify it's all true. All right, so um, where were we? Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words... 
Then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent. And when, I, when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood tr- trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that, that, I, that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. That, we're not there yet, so we're not going to spend much time on all this. But you, do, you see what, do you see why God could use Daniel? Here he is. He's now receiving further revelation because he chastened himself. God didn't have to chastise him. He did it to himself. He brought himself under. He disciplined himself. He got himself under control. Therefore, God could use him. Daniel, you are a man greatly beloved. Why? Because you love me so much, you keep yourself under control. You obey me. You obey my word. Now, let me give you more revelation. Let me give you more. Let me do more for you. If he does this for a man who's out of control, that's not good. A man who has the amount of political power that Daniel now has, the knowledge that Daniel now has, and the spiritual blessing and favor that Daniel now has, if he was an out-of-control man who could not control his appetites, what would he be? (laughs) He'd be a monster. He'd be hated. He'd be a pope. (laughs) Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the king, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now we're talking about an angel. And he said, I, I tried to come to you, but I was withstood by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. That's not the king of Persia. That's an unclean spirit. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days. But lo, Michael. One of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says there's, there's evil in high places. He's not talking about the top of a mountain. <laughs> there's evil in the top of Renzori. <laughs> no, he's there with the kings, the kings of Persia, and over the kings of Persia is the prince of Persia. And so he had to get he had to elicit help from Michael, who we know is is who in the Bible? He's the archangel. He had to come and help this angel get past the prince of Persia, an unclean spirit. The same Michael in the book of Jude, the Bible says, when disputing over the body of Moses, he said, The Lord rebuke thee. <laughs> Talking to Satan. He wouldn't fight Satan. He said, The Lord rebuke thee. And that's what overcame Satan, and he took the body of Moses. Here, they couldn't get past this unclean spirit, so they had to bring Michael down, and they had to team up on him to get past him. That means from here, from the firmament above us to the, to the universe out beyond this earth, until you get to the third heaven. Remember, how many heavens are there? Three. God's throne room is the third heaven. The universe is the second heaven. The firmament above us is the third heaven. Or the opposite, first heaven from us. I don't know why we would call the one closest to us the first, but you know, when when we do that, that's just how it works out. But anyways, so that means you have no idea what's going on in the sky above us right now. As we try and teach the word of God and and we pray together and we worship together, who knows? I mean, the Bible talks about our prayers being in heaven and God, you know, enjoying them as though they're a sweet aroma. So they have to pass from here to there somehow. You don't know who battles for them, who fights over them, who tries to stop them. That makes prayer a lot more important. If it's just, well, I said my prayer and, you know, I just spoke out into space and nothing happened. Well, that prayer, if it's real, goes from here to heaven where God is. And they are collected. 
and used as a sweet aroma before God. And, and he enjoys them and answers them and denies them and does all sorts of things with your prayer. There, there are incredible spiritual battles going on all around us that affect the temporal world. But let's, where did we leave off? I don't even remember where I was. Um, yeah, verse 14. Let's keep reading. Now, now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. Now, just one more thing to think about. All this happened, this fighting, these angels going back and forth. And as a result of all of this, you now have what's in the book of Daniel. Is that not incredible? It's not just that God gave Daniel some ideas and he wrote them down. An angel had to fight his way to Daniel to give him what we're about to read. One of the most important prophecies, if you can put it that way, in all the Bible. And we have it because this angel and Michael fought their way through, got to Daniel, who was a man well-beloved, who was a faithful man who would chastise himself, and he gave him the word of God. And now we have it written in this book. That has a whole other level of importance to this book. In the latter day, what shall befall thy people in the latter days? For yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men. Again, what are we talking about? He's not one of the sons of men, but he's like the similitude. He's similar to the sons of men. That... that adds to the idea of Daniel chapter 2 of something mingling its seed with men. So it's not men, but it's somehow mingling its seed with men. Well, here you have a man who has the similitude of the sons of men, touched my lips, then I, then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that, that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there, there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Daniel's about to pass, he's about to die because of this interaction. He's like, what are you talking about? You had to fight some unclean spirit to come here and you're giving me this vision about my people for many days? I'm just going to pass out and die. <laughs> Now, he's not a dramatic man. I mean, this is intense. This is an intense moment that, that, that he's dealing with, he's going through, and his body almost can't handle it. Verse 18, then there, then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man. So again, this description is important. He's not a man. He's an angel, but he's like a man. He looks like a man. He's similar to a man. He appears like a man. When, I, when Daniel looked at this person, he knew it wasn't a man, but he looked like one. All right, so we just did Matthew 17 in, in, in Sunday school, in the men's Sunday school. When Peter, James, and John saw Moses and Elijah, what did they look like? In their glorified bodies, they looked like two men. They looked like Moses and Elijah. They didn't have some new muscular busting body that, you know, they, they didn't get changed and, and, and become this glowing, heroic looking figure. It was Moses. It was Elijah. They didn't have name tags on that said, you know, name Moses that glowed as he, as he stood there. It was Moses. It was Elijah. And they recognized them. They knew it. So... Back to verse 18. Then, then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man. And he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong. Yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou, thou hast strengthened me. Then said, then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. So he's got to fight to go back. <laughs> He had to fight to come, and now he's got to fight to go back. 
But he's not going out and meeting an army in Babylon. He's traveling from, from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. And on the way back and forth, he's confronted by unclean spirits who apparently are given territory to dominate. And if one of God's angels wants to come into that territory, they're going to have to fight to get through. That's amazing. Uh, It happened here. I don't know that that means it's happening still, but why wouldn't it be? The Lord's still in heaven working with his people on earth. It's very possible. The Bible says we entertain angels unawares, which means they're here. How'd they get here? They're around. It'd be nice to people. Monica, I might be an angel. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine you you had a bad day and you you let yourself get out of control and you mistreated a complete stranger. And then at the judgment seat, the Lord brings that guy up and says... This is one of my angels. And you're like, oh, <laughs> uh, I was having a bad day that day. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to keep yourself under control. That's the admonition. Physician, heal thyself. <laughs> Verse 19, it said, oh, man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Uh, be strong, um, then come back down to verse 20. Then said he, knowest thou, wherefore I come unto thee, and know, now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone, when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Because <laughs> like, I finally get past the prince of Persia, and I'm trying to move on, and the prince of Grecia is going to come. Now it's interesting. We have four kingdoms, right, in our timeline. Babylon, Persia, Grecia, and Rome. And here we have two of them being guarded by unclean spirits. And in order for God's angel to go back and forth, he has to fight them. It's very interesting. Verse 21, but I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. Now, one day, Lord willing, maybe one day when I'm preaching in church or something, but um, when when you look at Michael in the Bible, the archangel, the angel, the prince, he is always, always doing something. He always has something to do with Israel. Every time. So it looks like, to some extent, he is dedicated to Israel. His purpose is to watch over Israel. To what extent? Who knows? Because horrible things happen to Israel every day. But they're also under judgment right now. And have been since they were taken captive. Imagine that job. Michael, don't let anything happen to Israel. But God, aren't you judging Israel? Yes. (laughs) Just keep a remnant alive. (laughs) Don't let anything happen to them. All right, so there are some wild things going on in the first, second, and third heaven that we probably don't even want to see. (laughs) Would you want to know that? Would you want this angel to show up in this room and say, I got something to tell you guys, but I was just fighting with the prince of Uganda. And... uh, In order to go back, i got to fight him again. So I'm going to leave you here to deal with him while I'm gone. No, stay here. (laughs) Bring Michael too. Y'all both stay here and and we'll we'll be okay. (laughs) Look at Ephesians 6. Now think about, I want you to think about Ephesians 6 in light of what we just read. And tell me it doesn't give it a whole new meaning. Ephesians chapter 6, if I can get there. And then let's read verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Now, again, that's not at the top of the Renzori Mountains. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, and yet our brethren still want to have revolutions and vote in their politician and get involved in politics. And, and, and it's, it's all physical, temporal. Too many of our brethren are sidetracked. These are spiritual battles. These are not temporal battles. If you don't pray, if you don't read your Bible, if you don't depend upon the Word of God, you have no chance. You're not going to, you're not, if you don't put on the whole armor of God, everybody likes to say that. But now that you know that there, there literally are unclean spirits guarding over the nations of this world, trying to direct them and make them do what they want, you better put on the armor of God. Because we're too busy looking at what food am I going to eat today? Temporal. How am I going to earn money? Temporal. What's my, what's my president doing today? Temporal. What law will the government change today? Temporal. And so we're looking at all these temporal issues that have nothing to do with spiritual realities. And we're ready to get mad at the temporal, but we're in no way prepared for the spiritual. That's a dangerous place to put yourself in. When God made very clear, said it very loudly in the word of God, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Why are you looking at the temporal matters of this world? It's the spiritual. It's the prince of the power of the air that you need to be concerned about. And so we we don't fight spiritual battles. Well, how do we do that? What was Daniel doing? Chastising himself. Disciplining himself. But the discipline and the chastisement was to, to help bring himself more in line with the word of God. That's where the protection is. That's the armor. That's the refuge. It's everything we need. It's the sword. It's the armor. It's the refuge. It's our safe haven. Everything we need is in the word of God. Jesus fought a spiritual battle against Satan. What was his answer to every temptation Satan threw at him? It is written. You're throwing that temptation at me? This is what the Bible says about that. I believe the Bible, not you. You're going to throw that temptation at me? The Bible says this about that. Well, what if, what if Satan shows up and tempts you and you don't have a clue what the Bible says about it? You're going to cast lots? Roll the dice? Pick up a gun? Shoot the devil? That's temporal. That's physical. It's not spiritual. And so if you walk around without the armor of God, you are exposed in the midst of an ongoing battle. What do you think is going to happen to you? You're going to get hit with a fiery dart from the devil. See, we, we, have, we have a couple of problems in, in modern Christianity. Number one, no one's prepared to fight spiritual battles or too few people are prepared to fight spiritual battles. Secondly, having been unprepared, which God told you to prepare for, when something bad happens, they blame the devil. (laughs) It wasn't me, it was the devil. Well, no, you were unprepared. If it was the devil, which probably wasn't, but if it was, it means that you, you let him deceive you. It means that you allowed him to have his way and he got you. God told you not to be deceived. He told you to put your armor on and to be prepared for battle. What soldier can be prepared for battle when he lives an undisciplined life? The Bible says a good soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this world. Temporal. I can't go serve God because I'm in thousands of dollars of debt. I can't go serve God because I can't get my mind off fornication. I can't go serve God because my flesh wants something else. Temporal, 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 entangled, not prepared. So when the battle comes, okay, where's Nianzi? Well, he's, he's taking care of some temporal issue he had. He can't, he can't be here. Well, that's one soldier down. Who's next? 
You have to be prepared. When I was in the military and they called me and said, we're going to war. I couldn't say, oh, I'm not ready. I have all these things. I didn't ask you if you were ready. We're going. You're in the U.S. military. You don't get, you don't, I'm not ready are are not words you get to utter. We're going. And if you're not there, you're going in prison. <laughs> you have to be ready. The Lord said, now that you belong to me, you're a soldier. You're a soldier of Jesus Christ. Here's your armor. Put it on. The battle is raging. Could you imagine in the middle of a war? If you think about a war, any war. Killing going on. I mean, the battle is everywhere. And you're just... Ah. What are you all doing? <laughs> just sit down and relax. What's going to happen to you? At some point, the battle's coming your way. You're not getting out of that chair in time to fight. You're not breaking out of your slumber in time to fight. And the fight is coming. You can't, you can't, this is one of the illusions of war. I was in Iraq in 2003 when the war started. There was no question we were in war. You spend half the night in a, in a cement bunker because you're being bombed. There's no confusion. That was 2003. 2013, I came back. I went to Afghanistan. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to the U.S. military in 10 years. I get back, and I'm not in Iraq. I'm in Afghanistan, but it's very same, same, same fight, same people, same enemy. Everything's the same. You've got restaurants on, on a FOB, an FOB, a forward operating base. A forward operating base means... You're in the midst of battle. You're on a base that is located in the middle of heated territory where they will kill you any moment. They're bombing you every night. They're shooting at you. They're they're doing everything they can to try and kill you. And people are sitting at a restaurant eating. Like a commercial restaurant. Not some military chow hall. It's like going there and finding Cafe Java's. You, you, you live in a shipping container, which is an upgrade from the, the tents we lived in, and you can order cable and internet to your shipping container. Did we, are we fighting a war or did we move in? What are we doing? And so we got so comfortable being there, we were no longer trying to win a war, we were just hanging out because winning a war is dirty. Winning a war means killing people and destroying stuff. And at some point, the American people lost heart and didn't want to finish what they started. And so we're just sitting there, eating at restaurants, watching cable television, hanging out in the middle of a war zone, <laughs> like it's downtown Masaka at 5 o'clock at night, and you're just going down to the market or something. Except every now and then, you got to run quickly to a bunker and hide because bombs are incoming. So you're sitting and you're eating and you're hanging out, drinking coffee, talking. All of a sudden, sirens go off. Oh, see you. And you run to the bunker and you hide. Then the all clear comes and you come back out and you go back to your restaurant. That's not how you fight a war. That's how modern Christians are fighting this war. You get busy with life. We're just hanging out in the middle of a war zone. We just act like nothing's wrong. Everything is okay. And then all of a sudden, spiritual battles start showing up and we just shatter because we're not prepared. We don't have on the armor. We have not chastised ourselves. We don't, we don't have, we've had no dependence on the Word of God because we got into a routine. Life is easy. I wake up. I do what I'm supposed to do. I have my matalki. I go back to bed. I wake up. I do it again. I have some more matalki. Then I go back to bed and, and everything's okay. <laughs> Until it's not. And then you don't know what to do because you have not been prepared. You've been hanging out comfortably in the middle of a war zone. 
I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. As the watcher spoke of the tree, the language turned from speaking about an it to speaking about a him. The watcher turned from providing an illustration to dealing directly with Nebuchadnezzar. That's not a dream that I want to have. You have a dream, this wild dream about a tree getting cut down and all this stuff happening to it. And then someone shows up and says, oh, by the way, you're the tree. And we're starting right now. (laughs) What? (laughs) What do you mean? You saw the dream. You know exactly what I mean. He would use the tree that would be hewn down. Or he is the tree that would be hewn down and humbled for seven years. What we're going to talk again at the end of the, at the end of the course, we're going to talk about prophetic time. Um, it's important to get an idea of how the Bible uses the word time, especially in a prophetic sense. All right. So we're, 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 we'll, we're going to talk about that. We'll get to that. But um, let's look at another verse just quickly on the watchers. <clears throat> Jeremiah four. Verses 16 through 18. Make ye mention to the nations, behold, publish against Jerusalem. Now listen to this. That watchers come from a far country and give out their voice against the cities of Judah. As keepers of a field, they are against her round about because she had been rebellious against me, saith the Lord. Thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. This is thy wickedness, because it is, because it is bitter, because it, 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 it reacheth unto thine heart. So these watchers are, are moving to and fro throughout the earth, and they're crying out and giving these reports back to God. Now, this is, this is related to the knowledge of God and some of the things we've talked about, what God knows, what God doesn't know what God can know, what he will know, what he doesn't want to know. You know, you you can't force God to know everything and then expect him to forget your sins as far as the east is from the west. (laughs) You can't have it both ways. We also teach, well, God can't, you can't go to heaven because God can't behold evil. But God's watching everything that that you do in your life every day, (laughs) which is evil. So it doesn't, you can't have it both ways. And, and, and the, the, the idea that God doesn't know everything doesn't limit God. God can know, this is important, He can know what He wants to know. And He will know what He wants to know. But when the time of judgment comes, what will be opened? The books. Where everything is recorded that you've done. That everyone has done. These watchers are going through the earth. And, and, and so if you think back to Genesis 18, when we looked at Genesis 18, God said, the cry against Sodom and Gomorrah has come up before me. Now I'm going to go down and see if what I have heard is true. So if you put all this together, it looks like either the prayer of the saints or the prayer of people in Sodom and Gomorrah who wanted to leave but couldn't, someone like um, um, the Italian man in, in Acts, what's his name? Uh, Cornelius, a lost man who's praying and God heard his prayer and sent someone to him to give him the information he needed. Or the watchers walking through Sodom and Gomorrah and they said, this is not good. This is getting way out of hand. We're going to send the report back up to God. God hears the report. God sees the report, whether it's audible or whether it's written. And he says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to see that. And if what you're saying is true, I want that place destroyed. So he's got these watchers. God sits on his throne in heaven. In the second heaven, there are principalities and powers that that watch on God's behalf or on Satan's behalf, apparently. You have these unclean spirits who have control over territories, Persia, Grecia, and, and, and they have a certain amount of power and authority over them, over the governments, over the leadership, over the direction of it all. 
And God can intervene if he wants, but in order for his angels, his watchers to come down and intervene, they have to fight their way through. Um, Sometimes the, the Bible describes them as wandering through the earth, watching, noting, and even interceding in certain situations. These are holy ones who serve God and watch on God's behalf. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. He was a watcher and he was a holy one. That's who made the decree against him. That's who called this out and said to hew down the tree. Um, They travel through the earth and inspect world governments, peoples, individuals, and then turn their reports over to God. All things are naked and open before him with whom we have to do. Whatever you did today, it was recorded. You will answer for it. Now that terrifies me. If it doesn't terrify you, you don't understand it. Whatever you did yesterday, it was recorded. You will answer for it. Whatever you did the day before, whatever you do tomorrow, whatever you do the next day, it's easy for us to fool each other. You might get away with something with me. I'm busy. I have things going on. I just, I trust you. I assume you're doing what you say you're going to go do. So if you trick me, no big deal. But if you're lying and you're misleading, it's noted. And you're going to answer before God. All the things I'm hard on myself about that I could fix, but haven't. It's noted. I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to have to answer for it. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. No one gets out of it. But when we stand there, God doesn't just say, let me recall all the things I know about you and deal with it. The books are opened. Do they start reading it aloud? What happens? doesn't say. But you are going to have to give an account for what's written in those books. That should make you all the more thankful that your name, I hope, is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because if they open that book and they've recorded everything I've done and I have to stand before God and answer for that, which, I, which will happen, I'm in trouble. If my name is not in the, in, in the Lamb's book of life. Praise the Lord, it's there. But there will still be a judgment. Everybody who thinks they got away with something. You think about the manipulative people in this world who think they got over on somebody and nobody caught them. What a day that will be. Open that book and read that. Well, I didn't think anybody knew about that. Well, you thought wrong. David thought he got away with his neat little plan. Till somebody walked in and said, the thing that thou hast done displeased the Lord. That's not what you, that's not how you want to live your life. That's not where you want things to go. This information is kept in a series of books, and when Judgment Day comes, the books will be opened. And uh, we'll cover all this, Lord willing, in more detail when we get to chapter 9. God set up Nebuchadnezzar as the head of Gentile nations in in the times of the Gentiles, and therefore he was under great scrutiny. When you're the head, you're being watched carefully. Everybody wants to position your leadership. Till they get it and find out everybody just criticizes everything you do. (laughs) Why'd you do this? Why didn't you do that? You should have done it this way. Well, you come lead it then. (laughs) You're under great scrutiny. He was being watched and the watcher made a decree regarding him. Imagine I had this dream last night. It was crazy. I I saw this big tree and it got cut down. Oh, by the way, you're that tree. 
What do you mean? <laughs> it's you. And if you don't stop, if you don't get rid of your pride, God's going to abase you. The king was spared. He was not destroyed. Just as he was, he was able to approach the fire in Daniel 3, he was spared here again. Uh, let's read verses 19 through 26 um, quickly. We got a few minutes. We don't have, we don't have enough time to finish it all, but we're going to finish it all. So that means we're going to go fast, fast. Let's just read to the end of the chapter. Uh, verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonied for one hour. Imagine that. That's, that's incredible to me. Daniel understands the, the interpretation, and it, he's just frozen for one hour. Doesn't know what to do. <laughs> the watcher found who he was looking for. <laughs> that's him. Hew him down. All right. Then Daniel, was, whose name was Belteshazzar, was a stony for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and, up, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew, hew the tree down and destroy it. Yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that they shall, they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet, wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree, uh, of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. 12 months. He walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon and made a terrible mistake. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Now, that didn't work out good for Herod. And it didn't work out good for Nebuchadnezzar. But for some reason, God let Nebuchadnezzar live and Herod was eaten by worms. I don't know why. But God spares Nebuchadnezzar repeatedly. Verse 31 while the word was in the king's mouth. He didn't even get to finish saying what he was saying. Boom. Put that wild animal outside. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and, they, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. 
That's a, that's a wild-looking man. <laughs> He's still a man, but at this point, he looks pretty wild, like some of the dusty things that walk around <laughs> on the streets of Uganda. You know those guys that they're homeless, they, they eat out of the trash, they, they, like you could, they, they always look the same. They always wear black, and it's always covered in dust and, and the red dust from the Ugandan dirt. And as soon as you see him, you know that's he's one of those guys. I don't know what you call them here, but I've tried to talk to a few of them. <laughs> they have been given the they have they have, the heart of a man has been taken from them, and they have been given the heart of a beast. <laughs> There's just uh, I don't know how you reason with somebody like that, but the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, where was I? Yeah, verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. One time, one of them, I don't know if you all knew this, but one time, Brother Keith was riding his motorcycle, and he was down by Supa, and one of them jumped on the back of his motorcycle and began bouncing on the back of his motorcycle. And uh, he just laughed and then jumped off and ran away. So, uh, anyways... That didn't have anything to do with the lesson. I just, uh, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. You've said that, this is like the third time you've said that. I hope it's true this time because he, he apparently died about one year later. All right, just some real quick notes because we don't have time to go through all that. But he was taken back by the dream. He, Daniel was silent for one hour. Daniel said, if you want to keep your tranquility. I think that's the only time that word is mentioned in the whole Bible. It's one of the difficult things about moving to Uganda. You have one of the most beautiful countries on earth and no tranquility. You got Islamic speakers blasting. You got trucks roaming the whole town and all the villages blasting music and blasting everything else. You have carnivals and concerts who set up all over the place. You know, it's, it's Easter Sunday. So let's have a party. <laughs> Makes no sense. There's no tranquility. There's no... You have everything that is necessary to have a beautiful, peaceful country, but the people will not let it be so. They want to be heard. They want their music to be heard. They want their voices to be heard. They want their, it, it's, it's, it's loud. And we've been here more than two years. I think maybe a handful of nights, my wife and I have been able to sleep through the whole night. Because there's always someone or something making noise Continually. That's a blessing when we go out in the village. There's, there's no electricity. So at six o'clock, nobody has anything to do anymore. <laughs> as soon as it gets dark, they're like, well, we can't see. This battery we're hooked up to is only going to last a few hours. So they go to sleep. And so it's quiet. It's amazing. And so he said, King, if you want your tranquility, you better repent. You need to turn away from your sin now. And obviously he did not. Now, we're not going to read it, but I'll tell you the passage. Ezekiel 31, verses 3 through 9. Um, the passage describes an Assyrian who was in Eden. Now, who would the Assyrian be that was in Eden? Nobody wants to guess? Yeah, Satan. There's no other option. It's the only person it can be. 
He is the Assyrian that was in, that was in, in the garden. And when God destru- describes the, the pride of this Assyrian who lifted himself up, it matches Nebuchadnezzar perfectly. That, that, the idea of lifting yourself up with pride, and God hates that. God, God will humble that quickly. The pride of the Assyrian in Eden and Nebuchadnezzar was, the, was, their, uh, was, was you know, based on their own personal greatness. Both had to be humbled. Only one of them received the chastisement. Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his head and said, Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm, after seven years, okay, I'm done. I, I give up. Satan still hasn't done that and will not do that. He, he will not be humbled. Nebuchadnezzar stands as a type of the coming king, the Antichrist, also known in the Bible as the Assyrian. So the, the Assyrian in, in Eden is pointing directly to Satan, and then uh, the Assyrian in Isaiah, who it talks about the Assyrian, who eventually will be, will be the Antichrist. Um, let me look real quick and see if there's anything that I want to just throw out there real fast. As long as the, the root and the stump remained, there was hope of restoration. Look at Job 14 real fast. I think you'll find this interesting or I, I wouldn't put you through the torture. Job 14. And let's read verses 7 through 9. This is really interesting. Now, that, that, the watcher said, hew down the tree, but leave the stump and the roots, right? Now, listen to this. Um, verse 7. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, that the tender branch thereof will not cease, though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground. Yet through the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth bows like a plant. So if you look at this in, in, you know, as a picture of, of us, if you are saved, you are joined to the root of Jesse, Jesus Christ. You can be restored as long as you stay close to the root. The scent of water, the word of God, can bring about the, the proper restoration. Uh, if you remember the parable of the sower, certain seeds sprang up quickly, receiving the word with joy, but then it withered and died because it had no root. The Lord said, you can cut down a tree as long as the root stays in the ground. It can come back. Even if, the root, even if part of the root dies in the ground, it can come back. So they, they, they let Nebuchadnezzar come back. Daniel immediately tried to offer the king counsel. He didn't take it. The Bible demonstrates repeatedly, even when God's wrath is about to be executed on someone, if you will repent, the Lord will often turn away his wrath. If you won't, he will not. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, his, Every man his own goodness will proclaim. <laughs> That's very descriptive of man. Every man will, will proclaim his own goodness. And then it says, but a faithful man who can find. Nebuchadnezzar is sentenced, is sentenced to his beastly insanity for seven times. If this is thought about in terms of prophetic judgment, the seven times may foreshadow the seven years of the reign of the Antichrist in Daniel's 70th week. Now you put that together, what this will mean is that during the Antichrist's reign... A beast is ruling the earth. What does the book of Revelation call the Antichrist? The beast. That's very interesting. All right. Nebuchadnezzar is finally broken, and they make him domesticated. (laughs) They restore him to his kingdom. He lifts up his eyes toward heaven, and his understanding immediately returns. All right, two notes on Daniel. Daniel 4.8, when Daniel came in before the king, and Daniel 4.19, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was a stonied for one hour. 
That is Daniel chapter 4. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.